rate, I conducted Miss Johnson's civics class on Thursday, and on the subject, what would I do if I held public office, the class and I had quite a spirited discussion. And in view of later developments, I'm sorry I didn't listen. But Friday morning finally rolled around, and the entire student body and faculty gathered in the assembly hall to hear Mr. Conklin officially proclaim it Student Government Day. Mr. Boynton, my bashful biologist, was sitting in the front row, and accidentally, with the aid of two bloodhounds, I found myself sitting right next to him. (laughs) Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Why, Mr. Boynton, this is a surprise. You, anyway. (laughs) I didn't see you sit down. (laughs) You know, sometimes I really worry about Mr. Boynton. He just seems to be so dense. I mean, you know, when you're sitting in an auditorium in a, a school and the seats are in very close proximity, how could you not notice who was sitting next to you? But apparently Mr. Boynton doesn't have his good radar running, (laughs) or else he would have noticed our Miss Brooks with her perfume on. (laughs) You know, I don't know. He really must be in a park. And yet, Miss Brooks pursues him. <laughs> it's like it's like trying to pursue someone who is deaf, dumb, and blind, because that's basically what Mr. Boynton is. Anyway, this episode is called Student Government Day from January 16th, 1949. Enjoy the show, and I'll be back with my friend Irma. On Olive Soap, your beauty hope and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous dream girl hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Last Friday was Student Government Day, a day upon which the entire administration of the city is handed over to high school pupils who have been elected by their classmates. Well, ordinarily, our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, would have very little to do with this event. But unfortunately, Miss Johnson, the civics teacher, took ill on Thursday, and our principal, Mr. Conklin, suggested that I take over her class. Of course, I didn't have to accept the assignment. I just figured that teaching is better than being totally unemployed. (laughs) In some states, it's better. (laughs) At any rate, I conducted Miss Johnson's civics class on Thursday, and on the subject... What would I do if I held public office? The class and I had quite a spirited discussion. And in view of later developments, I'm sorry I didn't listen. But Friday morning finally rolled around, and the entire student body and faculty gathered in the assembly hall to hear Mr. Conklin officially proclaim it Student Government Day. Mr. Boynton, my bashful biologist, was sitting in the front row. And accidentally, with the aid of two bloodhounds, I found myself sitting right next to him. Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Why, Mr. Boynton, this is a surprise. To you, anyway. (laughs) I didn't see you sit down. I believe I left my notebook on that seat. It's just some lecture notes on the North American porcupine. Oh, sorry, Mr. Boynton, I didn't even notice it. He must have pulled in his quill. (laughs) Here you are. Thanks, I'll just hold it in my lap. Why don't we let the notebook have the seat and you could hold... No, not in school, I guess. You know, Miss Brooks, something just occurred to me. We're always sitting next to each other in assembly. Fate seems to be throwing us together. Compared to my throwing, fate is a sandlot pitcher. <laughs> but perhaps you're right, Mr. Boynton. Maybe we should give fate a helping hand. I'm free for lunch today. How about you? 
Or would you rather ask me? Or am I being too subtle? <laughs> oh, darn that bell. I'll have to get him in the next round. <laughs> Students, faculty members, and honored guests. First of all, as your principal, I would like to announce that because this is Student Government Day, school will be suspended. <laughs> please, please, please. <laughs> I sympathize with your disappointment. <laughs> As you know, Student Government Day has been tried successfully in many other communities. And I have always been ready to experiment in any progressive plan to foster good citizenship. That is why you see before you on this platform our honored guest, Mayor Rimson. Now, Mayor Rimson, would you care to say a few words? Of course not. He only brought those nine pages along to put his gum in. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Conklin, for your generous introduction. <laughs> As I look out upon this ocean of young, eager, intelligent faces, a tide of emotion swells up in me. I'm getting a little seasick myself. And as I think of the glorious future which this community can look forward to at the hands of these youths, I am deeply touched. I have always been well informed on the affairs of young people. He ought to be. He's kissed so many babies, you can't see his tie for the pablum. <laughs> and so it is with considerable pride that I now inaugurate for the first time in this community Student Government Day. Therefore, without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce to you your duly elected mayor, Miss Harriet Conklin. You may applaud now. Thank you. My constituents, friends, and Mayor Rimson, I intend to show this community something new and different by making my term of office a clean and honest administration. Well, now, we will not tolerate graft and corruption. We don't. Thank you, Harriet Conklin. As Miss Brooks said in our civic class yesterday, the racketeers must go, no matter what politician is protecting them. Oh, that Miss Brooks certainly is a card. <laughs> that will be all, Harriet. Did you really say that in civics class? I don't know. I wasn't listening. <laughs> Mayor Rimson, allow me to apologize for my daughter's enthusiasm. Uh, she was obviously referring to the aims of city governments in general, without realizing that those aims have already been attained in our community. <laughs> And now, it is my extreme pleasure to introduce the student who has been elected your chief of police, Walter Denson. Thank you, thank you, friends. As your incumbent police chief, I cannot re-emphasize too forcefully the remarks Miss Brooks made in civics class yesterday. To wit... Every crook and grafter who has been mouthing the city treasury of funds has got to... <laughs> Thank you, Chief of Police Walter Denton. I haven't finished my speech. Oh, yes, you have, Denton. But, Mr. Conklin, as Miss Brooks said just yesterday... This is not a symposium on the memoirs of Miss Brooks. Or maybe it is. Miss Brooks, you here? No, I couldn't make it today. What's that? Oh, oh, there you are. Before we go any further, isn't there something you'd like to say? Yes, sir. Is there a doctor in the house? 
Yes, Miss Brooks, I did. In spite of my abject apologies, Mayor Rimson left here in a very ugly mood. Uh, Miss Brooks, just what happened in civics class yesterday? Well, we had an open discussion, and somebody opened it wider than I realized. <laughs> but we only discussed corrupt city administrations in general, Mr. Conklin. We made no specific mention of Mayor Rimson's corrupt administration. <laughs> I know that. Uh, never, never mind what you mean. Thanks to you, we've got a band of young malcontents on our hands. Why, not five minutes ago, a student delegation was in here demanding a three-day school week. And that's not all. They also informed me that they would like a four-hour day, starting from the moment they leave home till the moment they arrive back there. <laughs> and portal to portal. Next thing you know, they'll be wanting time and a half for leaving the room. <laughs> No telling how far this thing can go. They've got the whip hand. They're in public office today. Student government day indeed. Whoever thought up that crack-brained idea ought to have his head examined. Bend over, Mr. Conklin. What? It was your idea. Oh, well, don't change the subject. There's no telling what... <laughs> I was saying, there's no telling what that student reform party is capable of doing. Miss Brooks, it's up to you to see that they stay out of mischief. But, Mr. Conklin, you said this was a holiday, and I've got a very important lunch date to make. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks. You've got to chaperone those students. But, Mr. Conklin... Dismiss, but Miss Brooks. I said fall out. On the double. Aye, aye, sir. <laughs> Fine way to spend a holiday, chaperoning a bunch of... What am I running about on halfway down the hall? <laughs> That's funny. I stopped right outside Mr. Boynton's biology lab. Well, I might as well go in now that I'm here. <laughs> oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Say, I hope Mr. Conklin wasn't too severe with you. Not at all, Mr. Boynton. How are you at setting bones? And speaking of lunch, which you weren't, the date we almost had but didn't quite because you didn't get around to asking me and which I was going to talk you into but which I would have had to cancel because Mr. Conklin wants me to chaperone the students who are acting as government officials today. Oh, just a minute, Miss Brooks. I can't quite follow you. Me either, Mr. Vine. <laughs> I suppose I'm trying to apologize for standing you up. When? Today. You were supposed to have lunch with me today? How nice of you to ask me. <laughs> Shall we say the front steps in 15 minutes? Oh, but... I just want to powder my nose and fix up a bit. But you said something about chaperoning the Oh, that can wait till after lunch. See you in a little while, Mr. Boynton. I wonder if I'm playing too hard to get. <laughs> now, if I can just avoid her honor, the mayor and Walter Denton. Well, Walter, there's Miss Brooks. Uh -oh. Hiya, Miss Brooks. We've been looking for you. I've been lurking from you, too. Miss <laughs> Brooks. As mayor of this community, I feel that I have you to thank for many of my high ideals. Me too, Miss Brooks. When you stood up in civics class yesterday with a, a kind of glowing, luminous light emanating from your skull and your chalk poised in front of the blackboard, you know who you reminded me of? Joan of Arc at the Battle of the Erasers. <laughs> Look, kids, I promised Mr. Conklin and I'd chaperone you today, Wonderful, but I have... Miss Brooks. We're really going to clean up this town. You have no idea what's going on in this town, Miss Brooks. If you'll just stick with us, we'll show you graft and corruption, infamy and greed. I'd rather have Mr. Boynton show me spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> now, if you'll just keep quiet about it, I'll meet Mr. Boynton for lunch. Lunch? But what about the ideas of decent, honest government that you had yesterday? Yeah, and don't you want to be in it to kill? Who are we killing? I'm afraid we'll have to take an executive action, Walter. Right. 
Miss Brooks, I assume you still believe in obedience to duly elected authority? Of course I do, Walter. Then, as chief of police, I hereby appoint you deputy sheriff. For the rest of the day, Miss Brooks, you'll take orders from me. But, Walter... Silence! Oui, mon capitaine. <laughs> With this badge, I hereby make you a deputy sheriff. Look, Walter, to you I'm a deputy sheriff, and to Harriet I'm a deputy sheriff. But to a deputy sheriff, am I a deputy sheriff? Hmm? Starring Eve Arden will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. Ladies, regardless of age, skin type, or previous beauty care, doctors prove you too may win a lovelier complexion with palm olive soap. But to win this lovelier complexion, the kind men admire and women envy, you must stop improper cleansing. Instead, use palm olive soap the way doctors advise. Remember, 36 doctors, leading skin specialists, advised 1,285 women, many with complexion problems, to use palm olive this way. Some had dry skin, some oily, some coarse-looking. Using palm olive soap alone, two out of three won lovelier complexions. Now, here's what the doctors advise. Wash your face with palm olive soap. Massaging for one minute with palm olive soft lather. This cleansing massage brings your skin palm olive's full beautifying effect. Rinse. Do this three times a day for 14 days. It's that simple. But doctors have proved this way, using nothing but palm olive, really works. So forget other beauty care. Use palm olive soap alone for a lovelier complexion. For loveliness all over, use big thrifty bath size palm olive in your tub or shower. <laughs> Subordinate chief, but just where are we going? To the Jackpot Amusement Company's warehouse. We've been watching the place for weeks, Miss Brooks, in preparation for today. And we've seen truckloads of slot machines delivered there. Slot machines? Sure. The kind they put in the back of candy stores where little school kids can spend their lunch money in a futile effort to get rich quick. You know, where you pull a lever and try to hit as many bumpers as possible. Oh, the game I play in my car. Well, those kind of are bad. It's the one-armed bandits that keep the kids broke. Well, they're all fixed. Fixed? Sure. If a machine pays back more than five cents on the dollar, they break its arm. Here we are. The Jackpot Amusement Company. What are we going to do here? We're going to raid the place. We three? No, there's another bunch of kids coming any minute. You see, the fire commissioner had to go home and change his pants. He tore them sliding down the pole at the firehouse. <laughs> well, are you all ready, men? Speaking for some of us, men, no. Now, when I pull my police whistle... We'll charge. Sorry, I don't have an account here. <laughs> Let's go. I'm with you, Walter. Oh, now, Walter, Harriet, listen. Let's go to a movie. Open up in the name of the law. Are you going to open up or do we have to break it in? Walter, please. Stand in back of Miss Brooks, Harriet. Oh, fine. Now they're going to use me for a battering ram. <laughs> What's going on out here? Trick or treat. <laughs> Are you one of the employees of the Jackpot Amusement Company? What if I am? You're under arrest. What? Miss Brooks, you're a deputy sheriff. Arrest this man. Pull over to the curb, bud. <laughs> Look, lady, I'm a busy man. 
Why don't you just take your kids over to the playground and shove them down a sharp slide? <laughs> now beat it. Oh, resisting arrest, eh? This may go hard with you, my good man. What's going on here? Who blew the police whistle? I did. Officer, arrest this man. What did he do? He tried to get fresh with you, lady. No, and that's the story of my life. <laughs> and what do you want him arrested for? Yours not to reason why. As your chief of police, I gave an order. Your duty is to obey. What does that go against, Sonny? You heard him, officer. As mayor, I decree that you arrest this individual. Let me get this straight. You're the mayor, and he's the chief of police. Ah, who are you, lady? I'm Joan of Arc, and stop breathing on my armor. <laughs> I do not wish to be rude, but I have to go in now. You see, I am Little Miss Muffet, and I have to go sit on my tuffet for a while. <laughs> this is your last chance, officer. Arrest that man in there, or tomorrow you'll be pounding a beat in the swamp. Oh, pounding a beat in the swamp, is it? Do you realize this is insubordination? Oh, insubordination, is it? You've just got to arrest that man. Oh, arrest that man, is it? This is getting monotonous, was it? Look, folks, why don't you all run along and we'll forget about the whole thing? Oh, that settles it. Miss Brooks, arrest this policeman. Arrest this policeman, is it? Now, don't start that again. Will you go quietly, or do I have to use the bracelets? Take it easy, lady. We'll settle this in a minute. That doesn't frighten anybody. I got one of those, too. Good for you, Sonny. Some people don't seem to be familiar with the Constitution of the United States, which says... We, the people of the United States, or for that matter, the in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice. Little Jack Horner sat in the corner, eating his Christmas pie. He stuck in his thumb and pulled out a plum, and along came the Black Mariah. <laughs> Brooks. He won't even listen to us. Let me call him. After all, I'm still mayor. Fine mayor. She's been in office six hours and the whole administration's up the river. <laughs> Much your fault is mine. You and your police whistle. Now, don't start bickering, children. Maybe if we behave ourselves, they'll make us trustees. Hello out there. Oh, guard. Jailer. Turnkey. Shut up. My, what ill-bred screws. <laughs> yes, yes, Mrs. Denton, I'll call you the minute I hear from Walter. Goodbye. Imagine that, Mother. Mrs. Denton wanted me to call the police department. How would they know where her son Walter is? I can't understand it, Martha. You can't understand what, Osgood? That's the fifth parent who's called me up to ask why her child hasn't come home for dinner yet. You'd think they'd keep track of their children and not suddenly discover at 7 o'clock that they haven't come home for dinner yet. By the way, where's Harriet? She hasn't come home for dinner yet. What? Well, don't just stand there. Do something. Call Miss Brooks. I put the children in her charge. Call the police. The Bureau of Missing Persons. Get the district attorney. Contact the mayor. Find out if there's somebody else. Why don't they... Well, maybe you could get a hold of them. But I don't know what you're... What are you just standing there for? I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Why don't you do something? Get going. Sometimes you sound like a walrus caught in a Turkish bath. I did call Miss Brooks. Mrs. Davis says she wasn't home yet. 
poor woman. She's had dinner on since six. She's terribly worried about her stewed tomatoes. Please stop sniveling about Mrs. Davis's tomatoes. We've got our own tomato to worry about. Dear, <laughs> calm down a little. Here, have some fruit. It's very good for the nerves. I don't want any fruit. Oh, that's probably Harriet now. Harriet! I must lose my temper. Must be calm. Hello. Osgood. You're talking in a banana. No wonder with the house all cluttered up with fruit bowls. Hello? Is that you, Harriet? No, Osgood. This is Margaret Davis. Oh. I've just had a call from Miss Brooks. You have? Yes, Osgood. Harriet, Walter, Denton, and several of the other students are with her. Oh, thank heaven. Tell me, Margaret, where are the children and Miss Brooks? They're in jail, Osgood. Fine, fine. You see, Martha, I told you there was nothing to worry about. Miss Brooks and the children are all in jail. Martha, take this phone out of my hands and put back the banana. prisoners, young fellow. You may talk with them, but don't try to pass anything through the bars. Oh, thank you. What's Mr. Boynton? Hi, Mr. Boynton. We've been framed. About that luncheon date, I don't think I can make it. <laughs> what is all this, Miss Brooks? Haven't you heard? We're celebrating Student Convict Day. <laughs> we were only doing our duty as public servants. But Mayor Rimson must have forgotten to notify any of the other authorities. Yeah, we raided some racketeers, and the next thing we knew, we were in the pie wagon. They, they have no right to hold you here. Oh, officer. Officer. What is it now? Why, there, there's been a mistake. Please open this cell and let these people out of here. Oh, let these people out of here, is it? Well, yes, it just happens that I've had quite a bit of legal training in addition to my biological background, and I can tell you that you have no legal basis upon which to hold them any longer. Good for you, Mr. Boynton. I'm telling him, Mr. B. And furthermore, I'm sure you don't want to get into any trouble. Oh, I don't, don't I? Tell him you'll have him pounding a beat in the swamp. If you persist in this belligerent attitude, you're liable to be pounding a beat in a swamp. That's done it. I knew you'd see it my way. At last, Mr. Boynton, just you and I and the children. <laughs> this is absurd. I don't belong in this cell. Now oh, behave yourself. Behave yourself or I'll put you in solitary. Oh, there you are, Connie. What, Mrs. Davis? I would have been here sooner, but I just had to stop at the mass meeting. What mass meeting, Mrs. Davis? Oh, Mr. Boynton is with you. How nice. Uh, please, Mrs. Davis, we've got to get out of here now. If you'll only see... Everybody in town was there, Connie. And I told them what you said to me on the phone about student government day being run all wrong. Good for you, Mrs. Davis. Now maybe we'll get some action. Where's the Brooks cell? <laughs> the line forms on your left. I also told those parents how you said that if you had been running student government day instead of Mr. Conklin, there wouldn't have been so much thunderheaded bumbling. Uh, bumbling? Oh, hello, Osgood. We were just talking about you. Anybody want to buy a used teacher's license? <laughs> well, I guess I'll be running along. Now that Mr. Conklin's here, I'm sure there's nothing further to worry about. Miss Brooks, how could you... Why did you have to... When were you... Oh, please, Mr. Mr. Conklin, remember your blood pressure. It wasn't Miss Brooks' fault, Daddy. Don't blame her. And you, Harriet, in prison. How could you do this to me? My own flesh and blood. 
You've got his blood, Harry. You better watch your pressure, too. Quiet, gentlemen. Miss Brooks, it's my painful duty to inform you that you are under suspension for conduct unbecoming a teacher. Have you anything to say in your own defense? Yes, Your Honor. I'd like a new trial. Uh, on what ground? On the grounds that I'm not doing so well in this one. <laughs> we'll discuss that at the proper time. Meanwhile, you children remain here in Mr. Boynton's charge until I can arrange to have... Mr. Boynton? Hello, Mr. Conklin. What in the world are you doing here? I'm just visiting, Mr. Conklin. One of those guests you just can't get rid of. <laughs> well, we'll see all about this. I'm going straight to Mayor Rimson's office. I'll handle this matter personally. But what'll I do in the meantime? With a little luck, 30 days. <laughs> You've done a lot for me, H.J., but I can't understand why we're dumping this slot machine deal. Because it's too hot, Mayor. Besides, our cut ain't big enough. Also, the people are up in arms. The people? What do they know about it? Ed, I'm surprised at you. What are my initials stand for? H.J., Honest Jim. I'm the people's friend, Ed, and we got an election coming up. We can't afford to let the people get upset, or the first thing you know, they'll start thinking for themselves. And then where are we? Okay, Jim, okay. I'll have the jackpot company get rid of those machines right away. No, I've got a better idea. Ed, you're going to make yourself a hero with every parent in this community. Huh? You're going to let the kids do this job, the kids who were elected to public office for this one day. Wonderful, Jim, wonderful. I'll call all my department heads, and I'll tell them the students holding office that I have complete authority. Fine, Ed. It's democracy in action. That's what it is. Yes, sir, democracy in action. And Mayor Rimson is solidly behind it. Until after election. Which one of you is Mayor Harriet Conklin? I am. Step out, please. Now, which one of you is Chief of Police Denton? Oh, that's me. Come on out. I've had orders to release the both of you. Oh, but what about Miss Brooks and myself? Sorry, my orders didn't say anything about you two. But I insist that you release them immediately. Quiet, Walter. Orders are orders. Steve Arden as our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment, but first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a Luster Cream shampoo. Only Luster Cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster Cream. Not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen. Soft, manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanence. Four ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a Luster Cream Shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, in spite of everything, Walter and Harriet got us out of jail promptly. 
And that wasn't the only thing Student Government Day accomplished. The racketeers left town almost immediately. In fact, the very next day, Walter took me out to the jackpot warehouse for a last look at the place. Pretty deserted now, isn't it? Yes, it is, Walter. Let's go in and see if they've cleaned out the slot machines. I'm going to look around in back, Miss Brooks. Go ahead, Walter. Hey, here's one of those nickel machines. <laughs> what a racket. Naturally, two lemons and an anchovy. <laughs> if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Crime does not pay. shave cream. Plum Olive shaving cream comes both ways, and whichever way you prefer to shave, you'll find that using either Plum Olive brushless or Plum Olive lather shaving cream can bring you more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Here's the proof. 2,548 men tried the new Plum Olive way to shave described on the tube, and no matter how they had shaved before, three out of every four got more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Get Palm Olive Brushless or Palm Olive Lather Shaving Cream today. Today, one person dies from tuberculosis every ten minutes. Tuberculosis kills more people between the ages of 15 and 44 than any other disease. What's more, you may have tuberculosis and not know it, because in its early stages, tuberculosis is without symptoms of any kind. Yet, tuberculosis is curable. Help stop it from spreading by getting chest x-rays immediately. Remember, in some places, you can get a chest x-ray free or at nominal cost through your local tuberculosis association or health department. So, check your chest. Get a chest x-ray now. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations and be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Stay tuned now for Lum and Abner. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting When I came to New York, I lived alone in a boarding house. It wasn't bad, but before long I was talking to myself. Right then and there, I decided to find a roommate. That's how I happened to be living with Irma Peterson. Now I have someone to talk to. You know, the conversation made more sense when I was talking to myself. <laughs> For instance, a few minutes ago, I said, Irma, you know, I don't think those wall brackets give us enough light. Why don't we buy a bridge lamp? 
And Irma said, A bridge lamp? But, Jane, what if we want to play gin rummy? <laughs> These things I never answer. I just pretend I'm back in the boarding house living alone. Or to steady my nerves, I pick up a newspaper and read. Jane? Yes, Irma? What are you doing with the newspaper? <laughs> Reading? Yes, honey. What are you reading? Hmm? Oh, it's just an article on psychology as applied to marriage. Well, it must be wonderful. Psychology? No marriage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the mind of Irma Peterson. If one could get in her mind, I'll bet you Dramamine wouldn't help you out. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob, welcoming you to my friend Irma. This episode is from January 26, 1948, and it's called The Lonely Hearts Club. Now, I'm not sure if I brought this episode to you before, because I, I listen to a lot of old radio on the internet, and I hear this episode a lot, and I'm never sure if I've already presented this to you or not. So let me know, email me at OTR. R-O-B-5-0 at gmail.com Let me know if you heard this episode before. If you have, then I'll make appropriate corrections and find something else for you guys to listen to next time. All right, enjoy the episode. Lieber Brothers Company, makers of Swan, the soap with the exclusive super-creamed blend, presents... Our friend, Swan, with my friend, Irma. Starring Mary Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane. Friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship when other friendships have been forgotten. I lived alone in a boarding house. It wasn't bad, but before long I was talking to myself. Right then and there, I decided to find a roommate. That's how I happened to be living with Irma Peterson. Now I have someone to talk to. You know, the conversation made more sense when I was talking to myself. <laughs> For instance, a few minutes ago, I said, Irma, you know, I don't think those wall brackets give us enough light. Why don't we buy a bridge lamp? And Irma said, A bridge lamp? But, Jane, what if we want to play gin rummy? <laughs> These things I never answer. I just pretend I'm back in the boarding house living alone. Or to steady my nerves, I pick up a newspaper and read. Jane? Yes, Irma? What are you doing with the newspaper? <laughs> Reading? Yes, honey. What are you reading? Hmm? Oh, it's just an article on psychology as applied to marriage. Well, it must be wonderful. Psychology? No, marriage. <laughs> What's it say? Oh, it's just a series of questions designed to see if a girl and the man of her choice are suited for each other. Well, isn't that unusual? No, why should it be? Well, when Al and I sit on the sofa, he never asks me any questions, and we get along fine. 
Honey, you know, there's more to it than that. This article approaches the problem of compatibility with scientific introspection. Oh, that's nice. What did I say, Irma? Uh, something about an inspection, but I didn't get it. <laughs> well, let's just forget the whole thing, Oh, no, huh? Jane, please, please read me some of the questions, because I've been very worried about how Al and I will get along after we're married. Oh, Irma, are you still thinking seriously of marrying that unemployed moocher? Oh, what can I do, Jane? I love him. Ever since I've known him, I've been in a trance. Oh, come now, you haven't known him that long. <laughs> I mean, well, honey, you know, if you're really worried about how the two of you will get along, why don't you try this test on yourself? Oh, I want to, Jane. Please read it to me. All right, sweetie. Let me see. Um, does the man you intend to marry keep appointments? Is he punctual? Punctual? Why, Al is in line for his unemployment check even before the office is open. <laughs> Mark down one. One? Yeah, now. Is he the type of man you would ever be ashamed to be seen with? No, because we never go anyplace. <laughs> no, no, honey, if you want to take this test, now, you've got to be honest with yourself. Now, what do your friends think of Al? What do I care? I can get new friends. <laughs> well, you better give yourself a zero on that one. Gee, this is just like school. I'm getting zeros again. <laughs> Uh, what's the next question, Jane? Uh, do the two of you like to participate in sports? Well, I like swimming and tennis. Yeah, and what about Al? Jane, is tilting pinball machines a sport? <laughs> well, if they catch you, yes, then you may have to sprint up a few alleys. Irma, so far, you see you and Al have very little in common, psychologically speaking. Well, there must be something that attracted us to each other. Well, I know what attracted Al to you. What? You've got a job. Look, now, Irma, just prove it to yourself. Now, answer the questions they have here, honey. Do you like dancing? Yes. Does your boyfriend? No. Do you like to go to the theater? Yes. Does your boyfriend? Only when he has a pass. <laughs> well, according to this psychological test, the two of you just don't click. Maybe you're right, Jane. Lately, I, I've been having my doubts, too. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? Well, Al will be here any minute, and I'm going to give him one more chance. Either he will change, or this is the end. Well, that's up to you, honey. Come in. Hello, Jane. Hiya, chicken. Hello, Al, honey. Well, I've got to run along, kid. Hey, hold it, Jane. You mean you don't even want to hear about my new deal? Can't wait. <laughs> you will love this. It's a racing form printed on a large cookie. So after a day at the track, you've still got something to eat. Sounds good, huh? Irma, I can only say if you find you have anything in common with this man, get rid of it. <laughs> Snooty day. She ain't ever going to amount to anything. Al, I would like to go to the theater tonight. Will you please take me? Chicken, why this sudden request? Al, it's very important for us. You see, you and I are psychological cases. <laughs> What are you talking about, Chicken? Al, please take me to the theater. Well, Chicken, why can't we just sit here on the sofa and discuss world politics? Al, I insist you take me to the theater. But, honey, I haven't got a pass. They got a big doorman. And to clinch it, they're painting the fire escape. <laughs> well, let's pay our way in. Pay? Chicken, you are tampering with my principles. No use, Al. We have nothing in common. We might as well face it. You and I need a scientific inspection. 
<laughs> what? We're not combustible. Don't you mean compatible? What's the difference what I mean? We're just not meant for each other. Chicken, you mean that? Yes, Al. Let us just consider this experience an interlude, a motel on the highway of life. <laughs> Chicken, you're nuts. That's beside the point. <laughs> this is the end, and I think we should break completely. Well, Chicken... I don't know what to say. But if you think you'll find more happiness with another, here's your ring back. Thanks, Al. And here's a pawn ticket for the one you promised me. Maybe you'll change your mind someday. Well, goodbye, Arma. You're a swell kid. Don't ever forget you. You're crying. Don't feel sad, sweetie. I can't help it, Jane. I always feel sad when I'm crying. <laughs> now, listen, Irma, the worst is over. Now, you must try to forget it. Believe me, it's for the best. I know you're right, Jane, but I never had a man walk out on me before. That's silly. He didn't walk out on you. You walked out on him. How can you say that? I'm still here. <laughs> Oh, now, look, honey, don't carry on. So, you know, you're really in an enviable position. You have the whole world before you. You're footloose and fancy-free. Footloose and fancy-free? Sure. Now, come on, you dry those tears. Let's have a smile. Come on. Come on, now, let me hear you laugh. <laughs> That's more like it, honey. Be gay. Come in. It's only me, Professor Kropotkin. <laughs> Hello, Janie and Irma, my two little jigsaw puzzles. One complete and one a few pieces are missing. Why, Professor? Excuse me, a little joke I picked up in a toy store. What's new, Irma? <laughs> What's this? Professor, I'm footloose and fancy, and it's free. <laughs> Oh, Professor, Al and Irma have parted, and, and she's trying to be gay. Oh, so it finally happened. I knew it would someday. Don't feel too badly, Irma. Oh, I remember when I broke up with that nagging wife of mine. She went out and found somebody else. Did the new fellow make her happy? No, he made me happy. He beat her up every day. <laughs> Why, Professor? It's only a little kidding to cheer Irma up. Irma, my little bit of honey, you've got to learn to face the unpleasant things of life, too. Take that room I live in upstairs. It's full of bats and mice and rats. And the rain comes through the roof. But do I take a gloomy view? No. Where else can a man go hunting and swimming without getting out of bed? <laughs> I'll miss Al. Now look, Emma, before I go, I want you to remember an old saying. A stitch in time will save nine. Well, how does that apply to me? It don't. This is a slogan for tailors. <laughs> but there's a very old saying I like. It takes a heap of living to make a home. Well? Well, I think I'll go up to my home and clean out that heap so I can live in it. Goodbye. <laughs> 
Jane. I made a mistake. I'll never find another man like Al. Now, you made a decision, Irma. Don't be a weakling. Guess you're right, Jane. I, I'm just going to look around for someone else. Good. Who can that be? Maybe it's Al coming back. Come in. Hello, dearie. Oh, Amber Lipscott. What a surprise. Uh, you remember my roommate, Jane? Yeah. You mind if I take my shoes off, Emma? My feet are killing me. <laughs> if you don't mind, I think I'll leave. What's the matter, dearie? Ain't you never seen feet before? <laughs> yeah, but not in such quantities. <laughs> I'll see you later, honey. Gee, ain't it wonderful the way we hate each other? <laughs> but that's not important. You know why I rushed over, dearie? Look. Oh, Amber, an engagement ring. <laughs> Fourteen carat gold. Oh, Amber, what a beautiful setting. Yeah. Next year I get the stone. <laughs> Amber, I, I wish you all the happiness in the world. Why are you crying, dearie? Well, you're engaged and, and Alan, I just broke up. So what? This town is crummy with guys. Look, Irma, if you want a fella, do like I did. Right to the Lonely Hearts Club. Lonely Hearts Club? Sure, they got stuff lying all over the place. <laughs> and it's perfectly confidential. They give you a number. And if you're lucky like me, they don't ask for a picture. Oh, you mean I could get a number if I wrote to them? That's right, dearie. Nobody uses a name. Look, say, uh... Said you're number 12. Then the fella might be number 34. And all mail goes right to a box, so we don't even know where you live. And vice versa. Gee, do you think I ought to try? Dearie, don't waste no time. Inflation is coming. You don't know what you'll get. <laughs> Just do like I say, huh? All right, Amber. I'll do anything to meet some new fellow. Oh, you can't miss, dearie. And wouldn't it be wonderful if my husband and I ran into Al someday and I could say... Al, congratulate me. I'm Mrs. 94. Say, ladies, would you like to have a luxurious mink coat? Well, then, find out about the exciting Lieber Brothers $100,000 fur contest. Hello? Oh, hello, Dottie. Say, listen. How would you like to have a real mink coat? No, I'm not kidding. You really can get one by winning one of the Lever Brothers Fur Contests. Well, all you do is tell why you like swan soap, Lux Flakes, Lux Toilet Soap, Life Boy, Rinse, or Spry. How long will the contest last? Well, there's going to be one each week for five weeks. And we can enter as many times as we want to. Well, I have to dash. Turn on your radio right now and you'll hear more about it. Bye. There are 1,645 prizes in all, 329 each week in this $100,000 contest. Each week, the following prizes will be awarded. One gorgeous $3,000 mink coat, three $1,000 fur coats, five smart $500 fur jackets, as well as many other prizes of valuable furs and cash. And ladies, you may choose your own coat at your favorite store when you win or... You can have the cash. Now, here are the rules. In 25 words or less, tell why you like any of these six lever products. Swan Soap, Lux, Lux Toilet Soap, Life Boy, Rinso, or Spry. And close a wrapper or box top from one of them. 
Print your name and address and the name and address of your dealer. He'll help you. Also, be sure to get your entry blank from him. It will give you all the information you need. Mail your entries to Lever Fur Contest, Box 1, New York 8, New York. Be sure to get your entry blank from your dealer tomorrow. That address, Lever Brothers Company Fur Contest, Box 1, New York 8, New York. You may win a luxurious fur coat or cash. So start writing your letters tonight. Well, Irma has enrolled in the Lonely Hearts Club. I don't know why she did it, but I suppose if it was good enough for Amber Lipscott, it's good enough for Irma. So, already she has a number. Seventy-five. Irma's kind of worried about her number. She's afraid if she signs her letter 75, she won't get a man under 80. <laughs> so I explained that the number has no personal significance, and right now Irma's writing her first letter to the club. It'll be forwarded to some unknown man. Dear, to whom it may concern, I am a lonely girl. My heart is broken. I have blonde hair and blue eyes and nice legs and would like to meet a man in the same condition. <laughs> No. What's wrong? Well, you you uh, you put all your eggs in that basket, but they're scrambled. <laughs> you you better let me help you, sweetie. All right, Jane. Good. Um, dear sir, I am twenty-two years old, blonde, considered attractive, and I'm quite lonely. I should like very much to make the acquaintance of a gentleman who is also lonely. Now, sign it. With best wishes and all my love, seventy-five. P.S. This has nothing to do with my age. No. No, sweetie, ju- just sign it sincerely, number 75, huh? All right, Jane. Uh, do you think I should spray a little perfume on it? You know the bottle Al gave me? Irma, I have smelled that perfume. It will not only keep men away, but also mosquitoes. <laughs> no, honey, you, you just mail as it, as it is. All right, Jane. <laughs> Oh, girl. Oh, hello, Mrs. O'Reilly. This letter just came for you, Irma. I didn't mean to peek, but it says Lonely Hearts Club on the envelope. Oh, it's here. But, Irma, I don't understand. What about you and Al? Uh, they broke up. Oh, well, Irma, darling, don't feel too badly. Yeah. Go on, honey, go on. Read the letter from the Lonely Hearts Club. I'm just dying of curiosity. Go on. All right. My dear Miss 75, in answer to your letter, I, too, am lonely... What can we do about it? Signed, 33322. Oh, Jane, that's a wonderful number. What do you mean, wonderful? We'll have a big family. I don't follow you, sweetie. Well, in poker, three threes and a pair of twos is a full house. (laughs) I know, Irma, but don't go jumping to conclusions. You don't even know this man. Oh, Miss O'Reilly, I'm so excited. Imagine getting an answer so quickly. It's only me again. (laughs) Hello, girls. Why do you all look so happy? Irma has a new boyfriend. Wonderful, Irma. What's his name? A uh, three 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 two two. Irma, a convict. <laughs> Listen to me. Go back to Al. At least he wasn't caught yet. No, no, Professor. Irma's been corresponding through the Lonely Hearts Club, and everyone has a number. Oh, congratulations, Irma. And take the advice of an old man. Find out what the man is like right away before you get involved. 
Oh, I'm going to. But first of all, I'm going to find out one thing. If he has a job. You know what I just went through with my ex? Your ex? Yes. I want to even forget his name. Of course, my ex was very sweet to me. And my ex made me happy. I loved my ex. I dreamed of that day I would marry my ex. Irma, you're slipping. Now remember. Oh, yes, I must be gay. <laughs> now, honey, there's no time to waste. Come on, let's answer the letter. All right. Come on, Mrs. O'Reilly. They want to be alone. Let's you and I run around the block. Oh, that's silly. Who's going to run around the block? You are. You'll ask me for the rent, and when I give you my answer, I guarantee you'll chase me around the block. <laughs> so let's start now. Goodbye, and good luck, Elma. All right, honey, let's get started with your letter. Well, Irma has finished her letter, and I'm proofreading it for her. It says, Dear 33322, Do you mind if I call you Dear 32? I feel I know you well enough to call you by your initials. <laughs> I was thrilled to get your letter, and I hope you turn out the way I picture you. Of course, your writing is very small. Are you short? <laughs> I hope not, because I'm considered the right height for five feet four. I wouldn't want anyone shorter than five feet four and a half because I want someone I can look up to. <laughs> what else is new? Have you got a job? I have, and hoping to hear the same from you, I remain affectionately 75. Yes, sir. What can the Lonely Hearts Club do for you? Well, my name is Al. My number is 33322. <laughs> I'm corresponding with a girl numbered 75. Any mail for me? I'll look in the box. Oh, yes. Here's a letter for you, 33322. By the way, how are you getting along with your correspondence? Well, frankly, the dame seems a little cracked. <laughs> but I'm so anxious to get over this lump in my heart. You know, the girl I love jilted me. That I'll, I'll try anything. Oh. Here you are. Good luck. Well, for the past three days, I've been hearing nothing but 33322 and 75 until it's just coming out of my ears. You know, if those two ever get together, I think they'll have to be married by a bookkeeper. But of course, since the letter that Irma's expecting today should contain valuable information about her new phantom boyfriend, I was just as excited as she was when she said... Jane, Jane, the letter it came. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Come on, honey, read it. No, you read it to me. I, I'm too excited. All right, I will. Dear 75, thank you for your letter. I was hoping the girl I was corresponding with was a Vassar graduate, but it seems quite impossible since I noticed you spelled considered with a K. <laughs> However, none of us is perfect. <laughs> He spells perfect, P-E-R-F-E-K. Oh, go on, Jane. All right. You ask me, have I got a job? Well, 75, as number to number, let me inform you that I have worked hard and steadily all my life as head of a big steel corporation, and now I'm prepared to retire. 
How are you fixed financially? I am perfectly healthy, tall, and so handsome it's disgusting. <laughs> Yours devotedly, 33322. Well, what do you think, Jane? I don't know, sweetie. This is either a genius or a crackpot. But anyone should be an improvement over Al. I beg your pardon, your ex. Shall I answer him? You know, I think it's about time you met him. All right, Jane, I'll write him to come up here. No, no, honey, not for two reasons. First, if you don't like him, you know, after you've met him, we don't want him hanging around here. And secondly, we want to make a good impression on him. Well, how do I go about that? Yeah. Well, Richard and I are having dinner at the Papio Club tomorrow night. He can be our guest. But uh, how will he recognize me? Well, uh, write that you'll wear a green hat. But what if someone else is wearing a green hat? He's liable to marry the wrong girl. Yeah. Well, tell him that you'll leave your number with the head waiter, and Henri will bring it to our table. All right, Jane, I'll sit down and write him a letter right away. Yeah, honey. And listen, in your letter, try to make yourself attractive. Show an interest in what he's doing. Well, if he's in the steel business, what can I say? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, say, um, well, say that you realize that uh, uh, steel is the backbone of this country and that you're fascinated by blast furnaces... And trust he finds you interesting. I got it. Now, what are you going to write? Uh, it must be interesting to steal blast furnaces. <laughs> I trust you will like me because I have one of the nicest backbones in the country. <laughs> hold it, honey. Just, just hold it. Just invite him to dinner at the Papillon Club. Papio Club, Richard, myself, and number 75. We're waiting for 33322. I must say, 75 looks adorable. She's wearing a green hat. She's taking no chances. On it is a 75. <laughs> she took a label from a can of Heinz beans that said 57 and reversed the numbers. <laughs> Since this dinner is costing Richard a pretty penny, I, too, am very curious to see what Irma's landed. Honey, Irma, smile. Come on, look happy. Uh, I'm sorry, Jane. I was just thinking. But, Al, now, Irma, what did you promise? Ha, 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 ha. It's better. Irma, you say this Mr. 33322 is in the steel business? Yes. Well, then I must know him. Oh, I'm sure you do. Well, it's going to be wonderful to have dinner with an old friend. Oh, sure. <laughs> you know, every time we've been out together, I'd look across the table, and who would I see? Ow! Chicken, you're wearing a green hat. And you're wearing a carnation. Seventy-five. Al, you're not. Three, 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 two, two. Well, I sure am. What a roundabout way to get a free meal. <laughs> oh, Al. Al, I'm so glad to see you. Me too, chicken. Now, just a minute, Al. You have your nerve working steady, a steel magnet. I don't even know what I wrote. I didn't even know it was Irma. All I know is I was going crazy for missing her. Lots of guys turned to drink. I turn to the Lonely Hearts Club. Oh, well, it's all my fault in that psychological test. Ah, what's the difference, chicken? Just wanted you to know I love you and I always will. Now, Jane, if you want me to go, I'll go. Sit down, Al. <laughs> Sit down and order. 
No, thanks. I'm not hungry. No wonder you ate half my platter while you were talking. <laughs> Ladies, now with Swan Soap, you can get the kind of complexion care you've been dreaming of. Sure, because Swan's exclusive super-creamed blend gives you a wonderful new kind of beauty lather. A rich, mild beauty lather that cleanses so gently and rinses away so completely, your skin is left fresh, smooth, and lovely as ever. So for perfect complexion care, make your regular facial soap super-creamed Swan Soap. Well, Irma and Al are back together on the sofa, and they're as much in love as ever. They're making gooey talk. He says, How's my darling little 75? Oh, just fine, my great big 33322. And if that isn't nauseating enough, Irma is now making with more numbers. Uh, 14. No, I don't like that. Uh, 32. Yes, 32 and 33. Irma, I know Alice 33322 and you're 75. What are those other numbers? Oh, I'm just picking out names for the children. <laughs> Well, with language like that, what can I say but 23 skidoo to my friend, Irma. My Friend Irma, presented by Swan, another fine product of Lever Brothers Company, was produced and directed by Cy Howard. Tonight's script was written by Cy Howard and Park Levy. Frank Bingman speaking. There's a reason why Spry is the cake-making wonder. Spry has an amazing cake-improver secret. Try the sure Spry one-bowl way and be certain of lighter, finer, richer cakes every time. No other type of shortening has Spry's cake-improver secret. For new cake-making success, rely on Spry. Pure, all-vegetable Spry with cake-improver. Rely on Spry. S-P-R-Y. Rely on Spry. One hour earlier, and listen to the Lux Radio Theater immediately followed by my friend Irma. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Ladies and gentlemen, this is National Radio Week. To observe the occasion auspiciously, we wanted to bring you a radio big shot. But all we could get was a blank. And here he is, Brad Allen. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, Kenny, this week radio celebrates its 25th year of broadcasting. Think of that, 25 years and still in its infancy. <laughs> you know, the first radio program I heard was from Pittsburgh station KDKA, way back in 1920. Uh, how, how was the first broadcast, friend? Oh, it was quite exciting, Kenny. The announcer came on and said, this is Pittsburgh. The next thing I knew, cinders started flying out of my crystal set, smoke came pouring out of the earphones, the coil turned into a hot coal, the wires melted down and spelled out John L. Lewis on the floor. Well, in 1920, radio must have been a lot different, too. Oh, all of the programs were new then, Kenny. Mr. District Attorney was still going to law school back in those days. 
The national bond dance was just one rube doing a hoedown in a silo. Bulldog Drummond was just part of a litter back in 1920. <laughs> and radio had yet to hear those two famous words... Mr. Allen! Well, pardon. <laughs> Say, you, uh, you got a lot of applause tonight. My act with the big hands is here. Hey, everyone, this is OTR Rob welcoming you to another edition of the Fred Allen Show. I didn't have Fred Allen Show from 1948, almost, but I'll have it next week for sure. But this episode is from November 4th, 1945, and Fred makes note of the anniversary of radio during Fred's time on this particular program. Radio was 25 years ago. And I just realized when I was listening to that, that next year, in 2020, radio will be 100 years old. That's right, 100 years old and still going strong. The programming has changed a great deal, but still, that's amazing. When someone said, you know, radio was just a flash in the pan that it wasn't going to last... How wrong they were. So enjoy this Fred Allen show with Martha Ray as a guest, and I'll be back next week. Mr. Allen, Mr. Allen. It isn't Mildred's Pierce, kiddies. <laughs> The makers of Tenderleaf Tea and Blue Bonnet Margarine present the Fred Allen Show with Fred's guests Martha Ray, Portland Hopper, Minerva Pius as Mrs. Nussbaum, the Tenderleaf Workshop Players, the DeMarco Sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And if you're wondering who I am, my name is Kenny Delmar. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is National Radio Week. To observe the occasion auspiciously, we wanted to bring you a radio big shot. But all we could get was a blank. And here he is, Brad Allen. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, Kenny, this week radio celebrates its 25th year of broadcasting. Think of that, 25 years and still in its infancy. <laughs> you know, the first radio program I heard was from Pittsburgh station KDKA, way back in 1920. Uh, how, how was the first broadcast, Fred? Oh, it was quite exciting, Kenny. The announcer came on and said, this is Pittsburgh. The next thing I knew, cinders started flying out of my crystal set, smoke came pouring out of the earphones, the coil turned into a hot coal, the wires melted down and spelled out John L. Lewis on the phone. Well, in 1920, radio must have been a lot different, too. Oh, all of the programs were new then, Kenny. Mr. District Attorney was still going to law school back in those days. The national bond dance was just one rube doing a hoedown in a silo. Bulldog Drummond was just part of a litter back in 1920. <laughs> and radio had yet to hear those two famous words... Mr. Allen! Well, pardon. <laughs> Say, you, uh, you got a lot of applause tonight. My aunt with the big hands is here. Your aunt with the big hands, huh? <laughs> well, tell me... <laughs> 
Tell me, Portland, are you... We probably use it the way things start off. Tell me, Portland, are you are you celebrating National Radio Week? No. Mama and I are celebrating the end of shoe rationing. Oh, good, good. Mama says now that song will be back on the hit parade again. What song? Shoe, shoe, baby. <laughs> you should spray that joke with DDT, Portland. <laughs> it's lying there, but it isn't quite dead yet. <laughs> Say, how can you buy shoes today? Aren't the stores crowded? Oh, it's awful. My salesman had four women's feet in his hands at once. Say, that beats a full house, four feet. <laughs> See, he must have been terribly mixed up. Oh, he was. When I left the shoe store... Yes? On one foot, I was wearing a wedgie. And on your other foot? I had a sneaker. A wedgie and a sneaker, huh? <laughs> With one leg longer than the other, how did you ever get home? I walked along Fifth Avenue with one foot in the gutter. Oh, that's fine. I hope you didn't step on anybody we know. <laughs> and speaking of stepping, we'd better start stepping down to Allen's Alley, Portland. What is your question tonight? Well, I was going to use that one we heard earlier in the evening about the man who was sitting in Mildred's Piers, but I changed my mind. You know, this week, the $11 billion victory loan drive started throughout the country. And since the government is asking all of us to buy more bonds, Portland, our question is, are you doing your part in the victory loan drive? Shall we go? As one little doggie said to the other little doggie, let's get along. Gosh, it's good to be back in Allen's Alley again, isn't it, Portland? Now, I wonder if the senator is in. Somebody, I say, somebody now. Now, look, Senator. Claghorn's the name. Senator Claghorn, that I, is. I know I what... represent the South. I'm from Dixie. That's down south. Well, you keep telling me yeah, the same... let me talk, son. Well, all I'm trying... Let me get a word in. A word, you understand? That's all I know. Yeah, I know. you keep running off at the mouth, son. I haven't even... Yadda-da, 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 that is. <laughs> Look, Senator, what is Washington doing about the victory loan drive? Well, I say, Congress is all excited. Senator Ball is bouncing. Fine. <laughs> I said Ball is bouncing. That's a joke, son. Well, I suspect it. You ain't very humorous, son. Well, I do the best I can. They keep getting by you. Well, I do the best I can to stop them, Senator. <laughs> but they're so sticky, I don't like to touch them. <laughs> Tell me, Senator, are you... I'll Makes a lot of pauses in there. We have uh, any pauses left over. We could use the short ones, you know, for station identification. Tell me, Senator, are you behind this victory loan? I overdone it, son. I can't go back home. You can't go south? I told my constituents to buy bonds. Buy victory bonds, I said. I see. Our army has won the war, I said. Good. Our army is coming home victorious, I said. Well, why can't you go back down south, Senator? They, I say, they thought I meant the Confederate Army. Oh. <laughs> so long. So long, that is. So long, I... Say, a piece of corn pone fell out of the senator's pocket here, oh... Oh, well, I'll give it to him next Sunday. Well, let's move along to Titus Moody's door. Howdy, bud. Say, uh... <laughs> Mr. Moody, you look a little tired tonight. Yeah, Monsieur Robot catalog come yesterday. I was up all night reading it. You couldn't, uh, couldn't put it down, eh? 
Couldn't wait to see how the story come out. Gosh, well, uh, uh, Mr. Moody, I know you're doing your part in the victory loan drive. Yeah, I bought $500 worth of bonds. You put them in the bank? I buried them in my backyard. You hid your money in the ground? Why? Well, the fellow he told me, he says, you can't take it with you. And you? I thought I'd try it. <laughs> well, burying your money sounds like a good idea. Not so good, Bob. What happened? Gophers. <laughs> gophers, eh? They dug down where I had my money buried. You mean the gophers ate up all of your bonds? Couldn't tell my $500 from a hole in the ground. Hold on, Bob. Mr. Moody's going to have a hard time trying to spend those occupation gophers. Well, I'll try this next house. No? Well, Mrs. Nussbaum, I'm sure you're doing your bit in the victory loan drive. I'm auctioning off my furniture. Really? My goal is $100 bonds. What, uh, what furniture did you put up? First, my coffee table. Uh-huh. For $12, it is going, going, gone. Twelve dollars for a coffee table, huh? Oh, it's a genuine Sippendale. Oh, Sippendale. <laughs> fine, fine. Next, for fifty dollars, is going my pickle pine lobster. Pickle pine lobster. <laughs> another valuable piece? A Duncan Feinstein. Duncan <laughs> I see. Then it's going job lot. Teapots, high boys, low boys, assorted most of your things were gone, huh? Like old Mother Hubbard, my cupboard is bare. You'll pardon the expression. Yes. <laughs> but you uh, you made your $100 goal? I am $3 short. Well, how did you raise the last $3? In the kitchen, I'm finding two chairs. Two chairs? My rocking chair and my husband Pierre's modest chair. And you, uh... I am selling Pierre's chair... Eureka, I'm making mine go. Well, if you sold your husband's chair, what is he sitting on now? But he's always sitting on, silly Billy. <laughs> well, here we are. Here we are at the last house in the alley. I'll see if anyone's home here. Oh, oh is it you, the, the pest again? again. Ah, McGee and McGee. I'll bet you boys have written some new songs this week. You bet. Have you heard... It's watermelon time in Waterbury, baby, so I can't elope with you. Now, wait a minute. Now, look. I just stopped by to say I'm checking to see if everybody is behind the victory loan drive. Great. We just wrote a new victory bond song. Victory bond song? How does it go? It's him. Casey ain't dancing, romancing, or such. He's just buying bonds. The war may be won, but the job isn't done. Casey's buying bonds. Casey's saving his dough for that small bungalow that he'll share with his strawberry blonde. Cause she is a whack, and until she gets back, Casey's buying bonds. And now that McGee and McGee have torn their tune apart, we bring you five little girls who will put one together for you. The DeMarco sisters, accompanied by Maestro Al Goodman and his atonic orchestra, now sing Bell Bottom Trousers. Once there was a 
Housewife to be practical every time. She wants finer tea in its most convenient form. So she buys Tenderleaf brand tea balls. They outsell all other kinds in America because they're better in every way. Easy to handle, more convenient, more gracious. Above all, they make finer tea. Because the tea leaves inside the individual packets is famous for flavor Tenderleaf brand tea. Always supremely delicious. And the packets are made of tasteless filter paper, a vast improvement that filters your tea as it's being made. It comes out clear and sparkling, unmarred by speck. There's nothing but tea goodness in your cup. And tea goodness means quick comfort when you need it most. When you want the quick comfort of a bracing cup of delicious tender leaf tea, just drop a tender leaf tea ball in your cup, add boiling water, and it's ready. So for every good reason, ask your grocer for tender leaf brand tea ball. Maestro Al Goodman has just presented a Reader's Digest version of that popular song, If I Loved You. And now, say, Portland, will you hand me my pitch pipe over there on the floor, please? Uh-huh. Is this it? Yes, thank you. Any bongs today? Any bongs today? Uh, what are you doing, Mr. Allen? What does it sound as though I'm doing? Any bonds today? Bonds of freedom? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can laugh. Let me tell you, the Treasury Department, Treasury Department, all the dealings I've had with them and can't pronounce the name. <laughs> Heard me singing with Frank Sinatra last week. The Treasury Department? Uh-huh. You know, Barry Wood did all of the singing in the last bond drive. Well, the Treasury Department wants me to sing for the victory loan. Why, I may be another Lucy Monroe before I'm through. Any bonds today, bonds Mr. Allen, if you sing like that, you'll get $11 billion thrown at you. $11 billion in pennies is still $11 billion, Portland. 
I'm singing on the Staten Island Ferry tomorrow at 11 o'clock. If the wind is right, they'll hear me all over Jersey. <laughs> they think they have flats in Jersey. Wait till they hear me in the morning. Who is our guest tonight? Guest? Guest? Oh, I knew I had forgotten something, Portland. You know, I've been so busy. Yesterday, I had to go down to the song publishers to get a copy of any bonds today. Well, I got there early and nobody was around. I thought I'd wait in one of the rehearsal rooms. So I opened the door... And there was a quiet-looking young girl sitting there studying some lyrics. I passed by a window, I think was the name of the song. And as I come in, as I came in, she looked up and said softly, Hiya, Frey, oh boy, oh boy, Frey, hiya, Frey. Hey, I, uh, I didn't mean to barge in on you, Martha. I'm sorry. Oh, forget it. Slap the carcass down over here. Uh, at my age, Martha, one does not slap the carcass. One lowers it gently. Well, lower it gently, Fred. The creaking won't bother me. Sure. <laughs> <Are> you sure? <laughs> you come across an occasional one as we go along. Martha, Martha, you seem depressed. You look as though you had lost a friend. Fred, I just lost a million friends. What happened? The fleet left town. Now, don't tell me your boyfriend was the Romeo of the Big Mo. Oh, he was the cutest little sailor, Fred. A little sailor? Uh, he was so small, his dog tag was a Pekingese. Would you like to run over that again? Now, there's some <laughs> It may be with us. I'm not sure. So small, he's a, a sort of a sample sailor. Was he romantic in a miniature way? Romantic? When I smiled? Yes. He said it was like a landing barge opening up. <laughs> Well, as long as you've missed your sailor friend, Martha, how about going out with me? Are you kidding? Well, you know the old Navy saying, any old port in a storm. It ain't that stormy, Fred. <laughs> Martha, there are people, believe it or not, who think that I am not unpretty. Fred, at carnivals, I have thrown baseballs at better-looking faces. <laughs> Martha, for your information, I have my own hair, I have my own teeth. No other radio comedian can make that statement. So what do you say, uh, what do you say, Martha? Let's go jitterbugging. You a jitterbug, Fred? Are you too old to jit? Uh, a man is never too old to jit, Martha. I read about a jitterbug who was 97 years of age. The day he was buried, a voice was heard coming from within his coffin. What did the voice say? Dig me, brother, dig me. <laughs> well, Martha, I have to run along. I've got to learn my song. But I have to rehearse my song, too. Really? I'm opening at the carnival room in a couple of weeks. Say, as long as you're going to be in town, how about coming on my program some Sunday? Oh, I'm through with comedy, Fred. I'm going in for drama. You, a dramatic actress? Fred, while I was playing overseas for the USO, I learned that soldiers aren't looking for comedy in a woman. Well, I know that, Martha. And what they're looking for, you are not going to find a Noel Coward, either. <laughs> Won't Hollywood give you a chance to do it? <laughs> we could have used some of that on two of those other jokes. We <laughs> Won't Hollywood uh, give you a chance to do a dramatic picture? Hollywood? Ten years in Hollywood, and what have I got to show for it? Two hundred sweaters and Sonny Tufts autographs. Sonny Tufts? Gad, they've taught him to write. <laughs> Paramount did it again. 
Oh, if I just had a chance to show my dramatic ability. See, I just remembered, Martha. It so happens that I have a play. A drama? Gosh, Fred. Now, if you have a little time. Uh, just a minute, Fred. The band is waiting to rehearse my number. Uh-huh. I'll be right back. Okay, boys. Play. Is it a dramatic? Dramatic? Uh, uh, it's, a dramic. it's a dramatic. It's a dramatic. It's a dramatic with some tender leaf tea in there. It's a sequel to that. It's a sequel. Let's read between the lines. I think it's. I think it's a, it's a sequel to that new picture, Love Letters, Martha. Love Letters, that big hit Jennifer Jones and Joseph Cotton are starting. Yes, Love Letters, but my play is called Nash Note. You are a girl like Jennifer Jones. You have lost your memory. And the way I play Joseph Cotton, you'll think a bold weevil has just gotten through it. Let's go, Fred. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the premiere performance of America's newest dramatic star, Miss Martha Ray in Mashnode. I am Bennington. That is my name. I cannot remember my name. I cannot remember anything. The reason I cannot remember anything is because I have lost my memory. I remember only one word out of my forgotten past. One word keeps echoing through my mind. Oh, is that one word? Megatroid, Megatroid. Megatroid, Megatroid. Megatroid, Megatroid. Murgatroyd. That word was the only link to my past. One day my empty life was brightened. I met him. Yes, Bennington met me. I am Lord Neville Buff Puffington, keeper of the Privy Seal, Alto Pfeiffer in His Majesty's Warm Stream Guards. At the last election, given the boot with Winston Churchill. Yes, it was I who won the art of Bennington. 
But I shall start at the beginning. It was at the beginning it all started, obviously. <laughs> it was Michaelmas Eve at Lady Cavendish's fish and chip fry. Music was playing. It was the social event of the season. A group of us young dandies had gathered. I was standing by the harpsichord. I was about to give it a bit of a tweak when I heard a chap say... I say, here comes Lady Cavendish, but you went out with her niece. Ah, oh, gentlemen. How do you do? You do. You do. You do. This is my niece, Bennington. Do you do? Do you do? Do do? Do do? Do do? Bennington, you may remain and regale Lord Darth Tappington. Yes, my lady. Come, gentlemen. We're having such beastly fun in the castle room. We're pulling them. I say, Bennington. Yes, my lord. We buff Puffingtons never beat about the bush, you know. Yes, my lord. If we have something to say, we jolly well out with it. Hippity-poo and all that sort of rot, you know. Yes, my lord. Bennington, will you marry me? Yes, my lord. Congratulations, old girl. Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I was to be Lady Buff Puffington. He didn't know my mind was a blank. Only one word tied me to my forgotten past. Always the same word. Megatroid, Megatroid. Megatroid, Megatroid, Megatroid. Megatroid! And so we were married. It wasn't long before I sensed that something was wrong with Bennington. She was incessantly forgetting. Forever she seemed to be saying... I can't remember. When I would say, Bennington, I'm off for a bit of croquet. Where are my wickets? I can't remember. Bennington, I'm going frogging tonight. Where is my frog net with the short handle? I can't remember. Finally, it dawned on me. My wife had lost her memory. I sent for England's greatest psychiatrist, Sir Proctor Prendable Bar. The psychiatrist said... Your wife has suffered a great shock. Really? It caused her to lose her memory. Shock, you say? She must have witnessed some terrible scene. Terrible scene. Someone in agony. Agony. Someone tortured. There is only one clue. One clue, you mean? The name Murgatroyd. Anything else, doctor? Yes, that would be two pounds. Thank you. (laughs) Murgatroyd, the only clue. I called on the police. To the four corners of the earth, they cabled that name. Murgatroyd, Murgatroyd. Murgatroyd, Murgatroyd. Murgatroyd, Murgatroyd. Murgatroyd. Then success. Scotland Yard found the solution. Bit by bit... They pieced together my wife's tragic past. At last I knew. I summoned her. Bennington. I say, Bennington. Who are you? I am your mate, Lord Buff Puffington. I can't remember. Your memory will soon come back, old girl. Listen closely. You recall Murgatroyd? Murgatroyd? Murgatroyd. (laughs) An accountant at Hollywood, California, in the colonies when you were there. My memory. It's coming back. Murgatroyd. I worked for him. Right. Then one day in March, one of Murgatroyd's clients came into his accountant's office, remember? Stop, stop. Don't 
bring that horrible picture through my mind again? No, no, no. There in Murgatroyd's office, you saw the sight that drove you out of your mind. No, no, no. You witnessed a man going through the agonies worse than death. A scene of self-torture and suffering no other mortal could possibly witness without breaking. No, no, no. Yes, Bennington. You saw Jack Benny paying his income tax. with a parting reminder. A suggestion about something good to eat makes us all take notice. So here's one for the book. Remember the letters F and E for flavor, nutrition, economy. Blue Bonnet Margarine gives all three flavor, nutrition, economy. Yes, when you buy Blue Bonnet Margarine, ladies, you get three important things. You get flavor, delicious flavor. The fussiest eater in your family will go for Blue Bonnet. It's so fresh, delicate tasting, country sweet. You get nutrition, proved nutrition. Delicious Blue Bonnet is packed with food energy, rich in vitamin A, too. And Blue Bonnet means economy. This fresh, tempting spread saves you real money. Why, it costs so little, you can spread it on twice as thick. And remember, Blue Bonnet margarine is a product of the makers of Fleischmann's yeast. Back of every pound stands the Fleischmann reputation for top-quality foods. You can buy Blue Bonnet with confidence and eat it with real delight. So ask your grocer for Blue Bonnet tomorrow. It's the margarine that gives you flavor, nutrition, economy. All three. Thank you, Kenny. Before we stack up the tender-leaf tea bags and put away the blue bonnet margarine for the evening, I want to thank Martha Ray for joining us tonight. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, next Sunday night, the Fred Allen Show brings you comedy. (laughs) Drama. Joe, Joe, don't take my life. Okay, I'll take your Esquire instead. And our guest will be... Monty Woolley. This is the National Broadcasting Company. 